So we're going to go straight to our readings for today. And uh, first, we're going to hear the account of the day of Pentecost. Lewis is one of those who's professing faith today. And Lewis is going to come and read from Acts chapter 2, just the first 13 verses there. Come on up, Lewis, and we'll hear Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Acts chapter 2, um, 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own languages being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native languages? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, uh, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. And we're also going to read uh, from 1 Corinthians 12. So this is our segue back into 1 Corinthians. We left 1 Corinthians a little while ago uh, to cover Easter and the period between Easter and Pentecost and so on. So we're, we're merging these two for obvious reasons. So David's going to come for one last time uh, and uh, read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Uh, we've already looked at the first half of it, but it's just to kind of recontextualize uh, where we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one that is given the Spirit of, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. 
And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles and second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Amen. May God bless his word right to us. Thank you, David. Pentecost, by that name, doesn't feature in the Old Testament. I mean, it does, but not by that name. In the Old Testament, there was the Feast of Weeks, a harvest Thanksgiving festival. But it wasn't a Thanksgiving that was... Uh, retrospective in our churches when we do harvest thanksgiving we do it in the autumn and uh, certainly in traditional churches uh, traditionally the church would be full of fruit and flowers and fresh produce and vegetables and all the rest of it although it's become more of a kind of tinned affair uh, over the decades but nonetheless the thinking is to say thank you for what has come in pentecost was a uh, Pentecost simply means 50 days, and it was a counting off of 50 days from the a Sabbath at the Passover right to uh, this, uh, the first day of the week. And so this is a first day of the week occasion, just like Resurrection Sunday. It's the day after the Sabbath that they were to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. And Pentecost was the beginning of a, a, a celebration, one of three celebrations which Jewish people today refer to as Shavuot. And it's a thanksgiving for the first fruits of the harvest that is to come. A joyous time of giving thanks and presenting offerings for the new grain of the summer wheat harvest in Israel. So it was a kind of early summer festival. It was an anticipation of what had been gathered already, but with an expectation of a lot more still to come. It was very much a kind of creation-based festival, 
And to this day, houses in Israel will be decorated with greenery as a sign that it's all about uh, life and organic growth and so on. And also, at the time when the day of Pentecost that we refer to happened, uh, Jerusalem would have been full of people because Shavuot was one of the three pilgrimage feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, that took place each year. And there was a requirement that all Jewish males were required to appear before the Lord in Jerusalem. And so that's why we have this description of uh, a crowd. There were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. The people of God had scattered uh, all around the continent and all around uh, the, the, the parts in every direction, North Africa, other parts of what we know as the Middle East, up into Greece and Turkey, across to uh, um, what we know as continental Europe. Oh, I do like a good sneeze, but not right here right now. Now, I put a picture on, and I don't know if it got, did it, yeah, did it make it? There you go. All right, we'll get to the picture in just a minute. But that picture to me looks like a picture of a small explosion. <laughs> and I suppose in a sense, that's what that explosion uh, was, or that's represented a, a kind of explosion on the day of Pentecost. And so the atmosphere in Jerusalem is one of party, I suppose, celebration. It was a joyous festival. It wasn't like uh, Passover, which was a somber remembrance of uh, escape from Egypt and so on. It wasn't tabernacles where they remembered how they were uh, pilgrims through the desert for 40 years. This is a celebration of, of the first fruits of what is to come. And so we have this uh, context in Jerusalem. And I've been in Jerusalem when one of the festivals, it was actually Tabernacles, is coming up. But there's a buzz about the place, and there's special uh, fruits and, and uh, things on, on sale that, that form part of the festival, and it would have been just the same. And so there would be a buzz about the place, as there had been all those weeks earlier when Jesus died, uh, when he was put to death at Passover. And so we have this uh, sense of excitement in Jerusalem, and we have this uh, hanging promise of Jesus who has ascended into heaven, that they're to wait in Jerusalem for the gift that my Father is going to send you. In a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So there's a ticking clock. There's an expectation of something, but they don't know when or what or how and what, what will it look like? What will the experience of it be? And so this day of Pentecost came and they were all together in one place. And it doesn't say what that one place was. Were they, were they in the temple courts? Because they used to go to the temple courts. Certainly, there's nothing that describes uh, exactly where it was that says they filled the whole house where they were staying. Were they in that upstairs room? But we know that they're indoors and we know that they're gathered and we know that there's an expectation. But what does it look like? 
What does it look like when God acts? Sometimes we don't see that God has acted in the moment, and it's only when we look back and see what happened or the road that we've come that we recognize that God has acted. But sometimes we can be right in the moment and see God at work right in front of us. Either because of some spectacular encounter, experience, manifestation, or simply because a coincidence, an event, something could not be anything other than God in the moment. And so we have this description describing the wind or the sound of the wind that they heard, which came from heaven, the blowing of a violent wind which filled the whole house. Not a gentle breeze, not a twitching of the curtains, but a violent wind. Because actually sometimes when God acts, it can be sudden and it can be violent, not in a destructive way. Scripture does speak about the violent destruction that will come at the end of all things. But here it's the suddenness and the violence of a wind. And then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated. So if they separated, it means when they first saw them, they were together. And so they saw this ball of tongues of flame. And as it appeared, the tongues separated. An individual tongue of flame for each of the apostles and all of the others who were there. Now, we know that there was a good number of them, a group numbering about 120, we read earlier on in Acts. And so wherever it was that they were, whether all 120 were physically present at that moment, this tangle of flames separated out and came to rest above the head of each of them or came to rest on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and enabled to speak in other tongues. Incredible moment. Incredible experience. I don't know how many of you watched either the live event or the catch-up highlights, highlights after yesterday's royal wedding. But imagine a context like that. Imagine a context like that with people gathered in one place for uh, something else entirely, with their minds set on celebration, with their minds set on uh, the focus of a wedding. And perhaps a wedding is not the worst image, because here is the point where Jesus comes to claim His bride not to claim his bride in the sense of taking his bride home, but here comes Jesus to declare his bride, to say, these are mine. This is my body, to use the image or the metaphor, the picture that we read of in the 1 Corinthians 12 passage. And so, in the context of great celebration, the Holy Spirit comes And as each of those tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of the apostles, so far we have a uniform picture. We have a room full of apostles and disciples. 
We have a violent wind blowing through the whole place. We have a ball of fire that separates out into individual tongues and comes and rests on each of them. So far, a uniform experience or the appearance of a uniform experience. But then, at that point, comes difference, comes distinction, becomes individual giftedness and calling. The picture that's up there on the screen is a helpful picture that shows you where that list of virtually unpronounceable places actually was. Good job, Lewis. <laughs> and so, as you can see, the list, which just is a list of places to you, represents an explosion. These are all people who have been drawn in from the Jewish diaspora. They've been drawn in to uh, worship at the festival and commandment and obedience to the commandment. And this is where the gospel is now about to go out to. 3,000 people, we're told. If we had read to the end of Acts chapter 2, we would have read, and 3,000 were added to their number that day, or the Lord added to their number um, Sorry, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 baptisms, I tell you. That's a busy day. It's a busy day. And 3,000 people who are now going to go off in the power of the Holy Spirit, because they too would receive the power of the Holy Spirit on being baptized into the name of Jesus, why would they not? And who would then return back to the places that they had come from in the power of the Holy Spirit to go and proclaim in the same power of the Holy Spirit this good news of the salvation of God in Jesus Christ that they've just heard and received. It seems incredibly fragile, <laughs> like the story of the Ethiopian eunuch who Philip the evangelist, not the apostle, but the evangelist, the other one, meets on the road and shares the gospel based in his reading of Isaiah 53 and then the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized. Philip is taken away, whether he was literally translated or he just left. And the Ethiopian eunuch goes on his way, on his own. Outrageously irresponsible of God. No training course, no nurture, no discipleship, no small groups, no alpha courses, no extensive catechism, uh, no book, no Bible. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, these individuals, these 3,000 people, were propelled off as witnesses of the risen Jesus into the surrounding nations round about them. Now, yes, that would be backed up by the apostles who would follow and who would take the gospel out. But these people didn't stay on in Jerusalem. I mentioned a minute ago about the individualization of the gift. What do I mean by that? I mean that Peter, for instance, was enabled to speak, presumably, one other language. I mean, there's a big group there of, is it nine, ten, did I count them? Different people who all reported being able to hear the wonders of God in their own language. So that doesn't mean that Peter was able to speak 13 different languages and spoke to all of them. It means that each one of those who were present 
received the ability to speak in a different language. And therefore, it means that each one of those who received the anointing of the Holy Spirit was chosen and called and sent by God, even within Jerusalem, even within that moment, to a people group. Right in that moment, some of them were sent to the Elamites. Some of them were sent to the Cretans. Some of them were sent to the Romans. And so whether they were speaking Italian or Greek or or whatever local languages, they were chosen, anointed, and equipped by God to go to a different people or people group. I don't know what all of your callings are. And it would take some time for the apostles and the others to work out what the effects and the implications and the outworking of the Holy Spirit would actually look like on the ground. This was just the explosive beginning of people able to hear of the wonders of God. And then Peter stood up and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. And he spoke to his fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem and began to explain from Scripture, from the prophet Joel, how uh, God had said that He would send and pour out His Holy Spirit in power. Now, I don't know because it doesn't tell us this. I would love to know whether those who suddenly had acquired new languages were suddenly called upon to be interpreters. (laughs) You know, was Peter standing up and speaking in Aramaic? And those who heard him were able to repeat what he said in a language that allowed those who were there to hear. In a sense, that would make sense. Because for Peter's sermon, inspired in the power of the Holy Spirit to have the impact it needed to have, because these people had never heard of Jesus before. They hadn't heard the gospel. And so Peter, in the power of the Spirit, begins to preach and proclaim and explain, not just account for this weird manifestation of the Holy Spirit, who have heard the sound of them speaking in other languages but don't understand what's going on. And so Peter, in the power of the Spirit, proclaims Jesus because our faith is no faith at all if it's just based on some curiosity or some miracle some strange experience. For this faith to have any traction, any mileage, to be able to go the distance, it needed to be a faith that pointed to Jesus, that explained who Jesus was, in order that those who heard in their own tongue Peter's sermon, presumably interpreted, were then able to know what the basis of everything that they were seeing was. And Peter's preaching then, and and perhaps we should have read the whole passage, but it's it's a long passage. Peter's preaching focuses on the person of Jesus, the accreditation of Jesus, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and the vindication and validation of Jesus as the Savior and the Son of God. 
And so the gospel begins its journey to Glasgow or to wherever it was that you first heard of Jesus. The beginning of the explosion that would propel the message of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified, dead, and raised to life for the forgiveness of sins and the salvation of all who would believe, for the reconciliation of humankind to God. It began its journey on that day so that you might hear. And God, and I don't know, it would be a fascinating journey, wouldn't it, to be able to trace back through all the influences in your life and to know which of those on the day of Pentecost it was that was singly and individually responsible for being the channel that led to you coming to know Jesus. I don't think you could ever actually do that job. The influences are complex and integrated and so on. But nonetheless, you see the point I'm making. You came to faith because in amongst all of those who spoke the gospel of Jesus and proclaimed Him as Savior and Lord, some of those voices passed on the message to others and to others and to others who brought the good news to you. So what you see? Well, if we believe that there is still a work to be done, and if we believe that God is still in the business of anointing and equipping and filling people with His Spirit so that the proclamation of Jesus goes on, then it's not unreasonable to suppose that God is looking for a mixed bag of ordinary people on which to pour His Spirit in order to facilitate the reaching of those who have not yet heard of Jesus. It's not unreasonable. And actually, even just thinking about that group of apostles… You know, it becomes a bit of a cliche. We talk about fishermen and tax collectors. We talk about a resistance fighter, Simon the Zealot, and a Roman collaborator, Matthew the tax collector. We talk about very different personalities. Bold Peter, John, the disciple of love, James and John, the sons of thunder, Nathaniel, in whom there was no guile, doubting Thomas, Insofar as we know them, we know little bits of their personalities and their differences and their uniqueness. And whilst the day of Pentecost looks like a uniform splurge of the Holy Spirit, it was the Holy Spirit combining with the uniqueness of those individuals. Today, we're going to hear the profession of faith of six people. And we hear that profession, and, and one of them, Hannah, will be baptized. And all into the name of or in response to reaffirming and reaffirming their faith in the name of Jesus. They're a motley group, I can tell you. But it's all right, I've told them that as well. Interesting journeys, interesting stories, diverse and very different people and personalities. And yet, each one of them and you, if you believe in Jesus, with the call and the capacity and the gifting of God, the Holy Spirit, to go and make a difference. When the Holy Spirit comes, came upon you or comes upon you, and it may be a spectacular manifestation, or it may just seem like the most ordinary thing in the world, God takes the raw material of who you are and gifts you in a unique 
and different way. Never say, brother or sister in Christ, that I don't have a gift. It's an insult to God because every single one who is in Christ and has received the Holy Spirit, and by the way, you cannot say that Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We read that in 1 Corinthians 12. And so you have been gifted and you have been called. And some of those callings come through your personality and the way that God has made you in the image, in the reflection of God. You bear one facet of the Godhead in your design and makeup. But some of you, when you receive the Holy Spirit, received, and you may not know it, but received callings and giftings and equippings. And some of those are for ministry or mission or leadership in the church. And Paul speaks quite specifically and emphatically about prophets and apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers. But he talks about preparing all of God's people for works of service. And he talks about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit being given for the common good. Different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributing them. When these six people will profess their faith, it will be because of the Holy Spirit. Because you cannot profess faith in Jesus except by the moving of the Holy Spirit of God. And each one of those six have experienced the revelation and the moving of the Holy Spirit of God in different ways. Yes, maybe at some point spectacular, but many other ways, quiet, deep, routine even of hearing and learning to recognize the voice of God, of knowing because you know, because you know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, of knowing an irresistible call to follow God in Jesus Christ and give your life to Him because He is all that matters. And the Spirit places and sets each of them and each of you for whom this is home within the body of Christ here or within the body of Christ where He has placed you, And when he does that, he gives you a part and a place that only you can fulfill. You have gifts that no one else has in quite the same way. You have a calling and a ministry that no one else has in quite the same way. You have contacts and a network of friends and connections that no one else but you has in quite the same way. And yes, there will be forces at work to limit your use or your exercise of that gift. The doubting voice that says, I'm not much use, am I? Or the Achilles heels and besetting sins that can get in our ways, making us unproductive or less productive. Or the thorns and thistles, as Jesus described them, which grow up and choke the word and make it unproductive. Or the vanity and pride, which was why Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, because they were so hung up on who had the better gifts or the more important ones that they lost the humility to know that this was the work of Jesus. And so Paul wrote that spectacular chapter on love 
to remind them and you and me that everything that we're gifted for ultimately results in the body of Christ being a place and a people of love. There was much talk yesterday when I watched the wedding on catch-up or whatever last night about how this was a, a, a different wedding, another, another mark, if you like, in the modernization of the royal family. And the word diversity was, was used quite a lot. And certainly, it was probably the most racially diverse royal occasion that I've ever seen, apart from a gathering of the heads of the Commonwealth. <laughs> and that's a good thing. And there was a lot of talk about the diversity of the gathering. But diversity is not a modern or a secular concept. <laughs> diversity begins and began with God himself. Diversity begins and began when God made us in his image and expressed that image in a million diverse ways and no two are the same. And so these ragtag and bobtail apostles were equipped and called and sent so that they could be part of the explosion, each of them in a different direction. And you, my dear ragtag and bobtail friends and brothers and sisters, are gifted and called in Glasgow in 2018 or wherever God has set you to be a part of the picture and a part of the story. Not just a passive recipient, not just a card-carrying member who turns up and goes away again, but you're part of the ongoing and outward-going propulsion of the gospel of grace if you will accept that call and recognize that God has gifted you to play a part in it. The body of Christ, like any human body, is made up, obviously, of different parts yet forms one body. It's the extensive analogy that Paul uses to remind the church in Corinth that not one is more important or more valuable than the other. But that we are the body of Christ, but within that, unique individuals. Those who join the church in St. George's Tron here today do so understanding that they're not joining to be passengers, but that they are called by God to play and shape, to play a part and shape the life of the church or their workspace or their community or wherever their unique people group and calling is that God has gifted them to speak in the language of. And we all speak in different languages, sometimes not all ones we would like to. So far today, we've had Brazilians in, and my Portuguese is lamentable, in fact, non-existent. And then a Turkish family, I have not a word of Turkish. But you see, maybe there are people here who could have done better than I did. I just didn't know. It's a silly, a trivial example. And so let's prepare to hear the confession, the profession of those who join the church today and make that profession. And let's pray for them to be anointed afresh and filled anew with the Holy Spirit. But let us also accept the rebounding of our prayer for others, <laughs> that God fill us and renew us, empower us and help us continually to see where and what is our calling 
that we're not just lumped together as the body of Christ, but that a body to be functional must be utterly unique and distinctive in all its parts, and that your calling and responsibility is to know what God has called you to do and to seek His grace to fulfill it. And maybe you're already doing it, or maybe God is calling you to a new season and it's time for Him to equip you for something else or the next thing. Or maybe there's a gift or a calling or a ministry that He wants to exercise through you, even temporarily. Never dismiss what God can do. After all, just the day before, they had been clueless apostles, waiting for something to happen but not knowing what. But now, in the power of God the Holy Spirit, they knew exactly what they were meant to be about. May God grant that we do too. Let's pray. Loving Father, we recognize that before you, each of us, as the gift and the privilege and responsibility of what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Lord, give to us willing and open hearts, ready to seek and receive all that we need in order to find our place in the body of Christ. Would you open our ears and our hearts? Would you trouble and disturb us if we're more comfortable and complacent than you would have us be in your service? Lord, if we've not yet found that which we're called to, then would you continue to lead us into it and help us to grow up into maturity so that every experience that we've had, we might lay at the foot of the cross for you to take and use and gift and anoint. And so, Lord, would you help us to walk in our calling, to exercise the gifts that we know we have, but to be open to that which you would yet use us for. May the glory be yours in the body and throughout the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.